Hello and welcome to This Climate Business, the podcast about turning the climate crisis into opportunity. Please follow us on social media and rate the podcast as it helps others to find us. I hope you enjoy the show. Hello, I'm Ross Engels and we're talking today about plastic. Our guest is Rui Peng, co-founder of the Auckland-based cleantech startup Critical. Critical uses proprietary technology to turn waste plastic into construction panels and countertops. Mm-hmm. Rui, welcome to this climate business. You started Critical in 2013 and the company has evolved since mm-hmm. then. Where would you say the business is today? Tēnā Ross. Um, I'll, I'll do a quick intro on my pepe house. So, um, so, ko Pukitapapa te maunga, ko te Awanga te awa, ko Pangtaka tipunga, ko Manchuraua, ko Hanaka iwi, um, ko Roscoe South, ko Kainga, and the China aho, ko Rupintoka ingoa. So, um, yeah, so Critical is, as you say, a clean tech startup, and we exist to end global plastics pollution, starting with the 330,000 that Aotearoa sends to landfill every single year. Um, and, we, we, and we do this by converting the hard to recycle plastics into what we call the Critical Clean Stone a range of beautiful and durable, fully circular um, panels for building fit-outs, um, designed for architects and designers and people to use for their spaces. So um, that's what we are today, and we see ourselves as we you know, continue to grow forth to be a sustainable alternative, provide a sustainable alternative to timber-based or stone-based or other sort of linear-based panels um, in the market. Yeah. So we're, we're kind of comfortable today with the idea that plastic is evil, um, yeah. Of course, it's not right. It's essential to modern day life. But we're, yeah. we're, how do you frame the plastics waste yeah. challenge? Yeah, man. I think um, I think often when I talk to like people who are passionate about sustainability, I often hear this anxiety. Like I often hear this sort of um, anxiety about the future, and that oh, we as we as people have you know like stuffed it up kind of thing. Um, and like in sort of in Maori tanga, there's a um, you know, like one of the most important things is about tracing back your whakapapa. Mm. And it is our whakapapa that guides us to who we are today, warts and all, you know? And so, and I, and I really believe that like, you know, if we look at, um, for example, petrochemical cars, right? Before that we had horses and, <laughs> but petrochemical cars has enabled humanity to be, to be what we are at today. If we don't have petrochemical cars, we probably wouldn't have been in this position to think about technology and the circular economy in the way that we do today. And I believe it's really important that we actually be, you know, be, I, I suppose, have compassion for ourselves and have compassion for our whakapapa and that plastics, um, though it's not ideal today, it has certainly been important to the advancements of, of our thinking of who we are today and what, has, what it has enabled us to do. And now it's time for us to do better. Um, so, yeah, plastics... You know, I mean, in many respects, it's a beautiful material. It's, it's an amazing material. It's like fully circular. You know, it's, it can be fully circular. Um, um, and the intention of plastics when it was first made, I believe Tupperware is one of the initial um, use cases. It wasn't designed to be a single-use material. It was designed to be li- like lifelong. Like I have Tupperware containers, my grandparents' house, and they mm-hmm. still are good as today. <laughs> but at some stage, yeah. you know, within sort of... Um, Within the development process, we kind of we kind of lost sight of that eh, ourselves, mm. and so I think it's important that we be kind and, and actually acknowledge that plastics has got to where we are today. Right. So um, let's not yeah. beat ourselves up about no. the fact that we use plastics. Forget it. Right. One one of the strengths of critical is your technology. You have patents on it. It does yeah. things that uh, traditional plastics recycling cannot. Can you talk about that? Yeah, for sure. Um, 
So if we look at kind of the, the, the current stage um, challenges of, of plastics and recycling, it's predominantly based on extrusion-based technologies. So be able to take plastics, um, sort it out really fine because that's really important, right? And you blend the material, melt it into an, an extrusion barrel to be able to force it out on the other side. Mm. Means that like any contamination or mixes of plastics affect the melt flow index and how it flows. And if you got it wrong, if it's not sorted, if it's contaminated, the whole batch is gone, which is why a lot of recyclers kind of these days don't really want to, they're quite particular, should we say, about what they can and can't use and can and can't take. So critical, we don't use um, extrusion-based technologies or systems, but we use a compression system um, that are optimized by um, effectively a, a, a proprietary system that understands the plastics that are going in and the procedure that we have to run to be able to formulate sort of perfect looking panels on the other side. So having it, doing it that way means that like the margin for error in terms of plastics we can and can't take is just, you know, it's, it's, it's significantly wider basically. Mm. We can blend plastics, we can mix plastic types together to a, to a degree. I think my, my, my chief of technology may, may hear this, may, she may freak out a little bit, <laughs> but the few, that is the future that we're building towards basically. Right. So to be able to blend plastics with non-plastics and to be able to actually create materials that have different properties as a result of that um, process ourselves. Mm. And, um, you know, if we just look at all of the plastics that we, we're, we're struggling to recycle, like fishnets, you know, mm. it's fishnets has got sometimes a blend of polypropylene and nylon embedded into the thread, but also the size is awkward to be able to process. So our system enables us to be able to process all of that. Um, right. Yeah, because it's non extrusion Right, based. so that's another advantage. You can process a much wider range of plastics. That's right, correct. And, and the opportunity for that is being able to do that means that our product has advantages too right. because we can, we can use different wide range of materials. We can create all sorts of panels that have different technical and also aesthetic outcomes. Right. So where, where might I expect to see these panels? Yeah, if you go to um, uh, so if you go to Newmarket and you visit Torpedo Seven, um, that was one of the initial projects where we took about fifty thousand of their plastic bags, soft plastic bags that they were sort of they were um, putting aside to find a sustainable solution for. We turn them into clean stone panels and they use it to fit out their retail stores. If you go into you know like if you go into um, commercial offices, you'll find countertops made from recycled plastics of us too. If you go to, you know, cafe, bars and restaurants, like in Commercial Bay, you can find our panels in Kokako, which they use to clad the front of their um, beautiful sort of cafe. Right. So interiors, commercial spaces, um, yeah. And, and I'm guessing that you find yourselves breaking into a very established market for uh, existing products made from mm. MDF or, say, plywood. Would that be the case? Yeah, correct. Plywood, MDF, um, so uh, engineered stone, mm. you know, those, those and, and there are some other sort of materials, like the plywood and, and timber finishes, there's quite a wide range of it. Terrazzo, you know, stuff as well. Mm-hmm. Um, that's right. So that, that's, those sort of are the, the spaces where we believe our clean stone can be a sustainable alternative for. So what is that like, breaking into an industry that's got used to doing things a certain way and ordering certain mm, products? They are certified. They're, yeah. they're, it's easy to specify them. That's a, that's a really good question, eh? And I think, um, I think timing's on our side, right? If we look at, um, at the moment, the rise of Green Star mm. building, 
And then alongside that, the rise of the living building challenge, mm -hmm. which means is that like, so what's happening right now is that um, like big businesses and governments are facing pressure from investors their and their customers to become sustainable across all facets of the operations. And construction is a big one. Right. And as a result of that, right, you, you, you begin to see like, um, you know, like, Big organisations put out sustainability reports where they have targets that by 20, you know, by 2030, by 2035, by 2040, they're going to get to a place where there's low carbon, um, low waste and stuff. So a lot of this is beginning to ripple effect through the construction space as well, right. where if you are a large architecture firm and you're working for a government procurement project, government building, you have to satisfy in your building sustainable sustainability criteria uh, as well as performative criteria. So this okay. wave is already here. So part of your pitch then is that uh, you not only can provide a building panel product, mm. but you can help with the documentation required to meet sustainability requirements. Yeah, so we're, we're certainly part of that, part okay. of that ourselves, right? right? So, you know, one of the reasons why, um, say, bigger brands or bigger corporates partner with us is that like not only are we helping to solve a plastics problem that they have mm. but they're getting a product that is a better alternative than what they're already using in their supermarkets and right. stuff too moreover is that like a lot of the organizations want to be able to tell that story to be able to show their customers and their stakeholders hey like we are serious about the circular economy about plastics mm. here's a very tangible example right. In our stores, something you can touch. Happen. You can touch and feel. You know, <laughs> yeah, you, you yeah, can't yeah. deny it because yeah. it's all here. Yeah. Um, so, so it's, it's good timing, I, I believe, for right. us. Cleanstone does though cost more than the established alternatives. Is that a barrier for you sometimes? Um, it can be, but you know, like I think for us, you know, we're not trying to target everyone. You know, we're mm. trying to do well with with the few. Um, and so, like, so that's one instance, right? Like, however, if we look at the total cost of ownership. One of the things that we often miss is the total cost of ownership, say, for a laminate MDF. Mm. A laminate MDF is an MDF particle board that we all know, right, that has a, has a sort of a, a tough veneer over the surface. So if you can imagine that in a restaurant environment, someone could come and chip it and then water gets spilled onto it and then it swells up. Mm -hmm. So the life cycle of a laminate MDF at best is seven, you know, five, seven, at best ten years. And it needs to be stripped out. So every time it gets damaged, the edge, you know, you, you can tell this tabletop has a bit of an edge band. That edge can come out and water gets in and it swells up and it's ugly and mm. it's not functional anymore. Mm -hmm. So within, say, a store's lifetime, let's just take 20 years, at some stage, that end lamin MDF will have to be stripped out and landfilled. There's a cost of that. Stripping it out, there's a cost of that. And the fact that you have to buy another one, you might have to, in 20 years, buy another laminate MDF or, or three, be able to do it. There's, a, there's an entire cost of that in the life cycle. And do architects think like that? I think more and more are at the moment, right? So, um, you know, it is really important for designers that not only a space has to be beautiful and it's unique, but it also has to be durable and stuff themselves as well. Yeah. So that, that is often a question we get from designers. Let's talk about you, Rui. It's an interesting question, this, this one. You're, you're the son of Chinese immigrants. And yeah. And you've made the conscious decision to follow the principles of Tikanga Māori in the business. Can you talk about that? Yeah. So I'm, I've, as you would have known, my people here, I'm not, I'm not Māori. Um, my business partner is Māori. He's he, um, he's hails from um, Levin. So he, that's his whakapapa is uh, Ngāti Kahununu and Ngāti Raukawa. And you know, so, sort of. 
between him and I, kind of like the the why we created critical was sort of there's two values. One is around, you know, like the the worldview or the belief that, um, uh, like in, in Tao Māori, there's there's the belief that everything has a modi. Like if you if you fuck a papa back, you know, if we recite our ancestry, um, you can you all you go all the way to the land and the tree and and so. Um, the worldview that there's a modi not just between you and I, but also in the in the land and the rock and the tree, mm. um, and the importance of reciting that in our whakapapa means that there's effectively a kin- we have kinship ties to our land, right? Um, you know, th- I mean, think about you growing up and the places that has shaped you who you are. Mm-hmm. It's not just the people, but it's also the place right. to who you are today. Um, so with critical like. We exist to be able to. What we want to. What we want to try and do is to uplift the modi of Te Taiao. Is how do we, in every decision we make, as we grow and as we scale, how do we leave our whenua better than we found it before? Right. Um, and then our second value is also around um, looking at how do we become good ancestors. So that, you know, it's critical is not. There's not a exit that we plan. You know, five or ten years down the track, but it's about how do we exist so that we can maybe exist for the next thousand years and leave a positive impact in the space as well. Yeah, I get so, that. So, so but at, at an execution yeah. level, how does yeah. that work out day to day? That's a really good question, eh? So um, within our decision making, so we have, well, first of all, it's about ensuring we have investors and stakeholders who are values aligned. Mm-hmm. And so our investors are more impact investors, where for them it's more about seeing not just a return on their um, a return on their money, but also the return on the impact that we that we seek to see. So, getting strong alignment between our stakeholders in that space is really important for us. Um, second one for us looks like, you know, uh, what does it look like? So, every every business in in Aotearoa, technically um, operating New Zealand, um, has a responsibility to 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 your Waitangi, and you know what that means for us is um, as a Maori business, uh, Maori owned business, is around. How do we prioritize within our supply chain mm. um, Māori suppliers? Um, for us, that's a huge, like we see that as a significant advantage, um, you know, to be able to compete and play in the world stage. How do we then, yeah, how do we then continue to scale? How do we foster the right commercial relationships? And may it be iwi, for example. I mean, that will be incredible for us. So that, you know, quite oftentimes um, iwi has the, the, the sort of the, the commercial capability, the governance to be able to com- sort of turn commercial income into social environmental outcome. Mm-hmm. And for us, they seem to be the perfect commercial um, partners for us as we see ourselves scaling and grow. And then lastly is around um, looking at our own sort of workforce um, is how do we offer other Māori, other Pacifica um, sort of you know, young people or talents um, into our business as we scale as well and be able to prioritise that in, in how we practice. Mm. Um, we, as a country, we're in the middle of a phase-out of single-use and hard-to-recycle plastics. Presumably mm. that means your uh, pipeline, if you will, mm. of, of raw materials is going to dry up at some point. Is that an issue? Um, that is a fantastic question. And I think, um, like, I think... There's two ways I can answer that, right? If we get, if we can ever get to a place where we have no sort of feedstock or no materials, I, I would feel like if I can see that in my in my lifetime, I would have succeeded. Mm. Um, and if that was the case, we would adapt our technology to be able to make bio-based alternatives for products um, that are yeah. But the second of all is that if we turned off the plastics tap right now, and and that is a significantly important policy 
I believe that there are still enough plastics that will last us for generations. We may have to develop technologies to be able to mine them, you know, from um, from our landfill, which is which gets us into a space of it being regenerative. Um, but the issue of you know plastics, even if we turn our plastics off right now, there's just so much plastics going around somewhere in our ecosystem um, to last us generations. So we don't see that as necessarily an issue, um, but we hope for that to be an issue for us. Yeah, right, yeah. understood. So where, where do you think the future lies for Critical? Is it in an expanding product range, more mm. clean stone and variants, or is it in tapping the value in your technology IP? Yeah, that's a really good question. It's probably going to look like a combination of the two. So, we, you know, if we start, so there's product and then there's technology. Um, the technology is what's going to enable us to scale, and the product is what's going to enable us to be able to have the desirability to scale in the market, right? So with Critical, like um, the Cleanstone panels is kind of the, 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 the first product of a range that we, we foresee that can be applied into the construction space. So our interior decorative panels serves the fit-out space at the moment, but what's to stop us from, as we close out certification and make more product advancements, be able to say, your cladding, your roofing, your flooring, everything around you can have circularity and can be made from an element of plastics and materials. So there's, there's, the, there's the opportunity for that too. In terms of how we see ourselves scaling, um, we've just closed an initial, um, well, we are closing an initial investment round, which is going to kick off for us a two-year um, technology development cycle. And the end goal for us in the next two years, if everything goes to plan, is to end up with what we call the critical microfactory. The ability to containerize our current generation two technology into the size of a few shipping containers. And our goal is that we want to ship a critical microfactory to every city in the world. Um, and it may be done through a commercial relationship with iwi, where we can have critical microfactories in every region where you know, you know, where Māori and iwi can benefit from this growing industry of circular building materials, but also as we scale forth, um, you know, one of our values um, is we want to, we want to also be able to uplift um, indigenous, um, yeah, like sort of like indigenous um, prosperity. And so, one of the views we have that we are, we're kind of, you know, deciding internally is that as we go offshore, as we go outside of Aotearoa. You know, do we put in place practices or principles where we offer indigenous authorities the first right of refusal to become partners or franchisees of Critical mm. um, ourselves as well? But this, but the effectively the idea is that we don't want to see a world where <clears throat> Western countries ship plastics to, you know, developing nations mm. as to be able to solve that problem. Which is, of course, what we have today. Which is, of course, what we have. And when 2018 China stopped doing it, like it was, a, we got a really good look at ourselves, didn't we? And so if we had this ability to be able to democratize the, the circularity of plastics, turn it into a really valuable material, serving a $938 billion industry for timber linear-based panels. Um, we think that there could be something in that um, that everyone can benefit from. So last question then, really. What can we expect from Critical in the short term? What what should we expect from you in the next twelve months? I love like what what sort of Bill Gates summarised in this reflection, which is like um, we often overestimate what we can achieve in one year, but we underestimate what we can achieve in ten years. <laughs> and so, in the next year, we 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 certainly want to see more of our cleanstone products across interiors within the retail and hospitality space. So I mean, you know, imagine yourself in a restaurant like McDonald's, for example, and then everything that you touch and feel 
hopefully made from clean stone. Or if you go to a supermarket to try and shop for stuff and in the checkout counter made from clean stone. That will be pretty exciting for us in the next 12 months is to be able to do that nationally. We also will be developing our technology to upscale that further. And then beyond that, looking at fostering sort of the initial partnerships with offshore partners as well. We envision our products to saturate the interior and fit out retail space. Um, so we're looking to, for partnerships with retail brands, hospitality brands, um, with architects and designers looking to create, I guess, really beautiful, but also sustainable spaces and interiors. We love to hear from them um, and grow my partnership in that, in that space. So um, that's what we want to do in the next 12 months. Rui Peng, thank you for joining us on this climate business. Oh, kill the bro. It's been a joy. Thanks for having me. Thanks for listening to This Climate Business. If you like the show, please rate us as it helps others to find us. Ka kiti anu. Thank you.